And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey everyone and welcome back to Power Hour, the Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach, and I am thrilled as always, to be joined by my friend and colleague, Michael Felder from Stadium, to break down all the biggest storylines in college football this week in an hour or less. As a reminder, if you enjoy this podcast, you probably enjoy the feed. So be sure to subscribe, rate, and review The Andy Staples Show and Friends. Five stars, because much like Ari Wasserman's favorite recruits and those in the portal that are also former five-star players, uh, well, we want to make an immediate impact. And Felder, it has been a week. It has been something that I've seen a lot of people say one of the craziest weeks in college football history, one of the craziest coaching carousels in college football history, Lincoln Riley to USC, Brian Kelly to LSU. And uh, yeah, we we were just, we'll start there. Is this one of the craziest weeks in college football? I mean, I guess for everybody else. (laughs) Um, I, I, I I don't mean to rain on everybody's parade. I get it. People love this stuff, but it's. I don't know. I've, for me, I've kind of been buried in, you know, the actual games that are happening and teams getting a chance to play for a playoff, teams getting a chance to win a conference championship, teams get a chance to win their first conference championship. So it's, yeah, I, I, it's, I've had to do a lot of blocking and muting on my Twitter feed. <laughs> and I think I'm, it's, I think it's for the better for me, for like for my mental health, because otherwise I'll drive myself crazy. I understand that. Basically, what we've what 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 we've seen is two teams that are not good have hijacked conference championship weekend when there are ten conference championship games that are about to happen. This is true. This is true, and it's not by this isn't by accident. It's not by accident. LSU. Okay, we're we're gonna make we're gonna make a move now. Why? Because otherwise, everybody will be talking about Alabama and in Georgia, and we can't have that. So let's do something absurd. USC, nobody's talked about we we play a game at eleven PM Eastern on FS one against Cal. That means absolutely nothing. So what we what can we do to make people not make fun of us for that? Let's do something. Let's let's do something. Let's do a thing. And then everyone will talk about us and we're special. It's actually a very interesting point on the LSU timing because I, I sort of see, you know, USC felt like, okay, Oklahoma's not going to the playoff. Here's a window for us to, to make a final run, whatever. But, but LSU did this six days before Notre Dame would find out if they were going to make the playoff or not. Yeah. And that to me, that feels like, what if they make the playoff? Then maybe he won't leave. Right. So it is what it is. Like, good for them. Hope, I hope it all works out for both of these schools. We'll see. Yeah, and, we, and we'll get into uh, some conference championship talk in, in just a little bit. But we, we will start with Brian Kelly at LSU. We have the details now. Ten years, $95 million contract plus incentives. He's going to be formally introduced 
at LSU at a press conference at noon Central Time on Wednesday. Now, in, in terms of actual fit and, and style and recruiting and winning and all of those things, what was your first reaction to this, this move? I mean, I don't understand. I don't understand the, like, the cultural fit. I understand this maybe even less than Mike Leach to Mississippi State. But we'll see what happens. Like, to me, he's a good football coach. I also think that there's something to be said for a bunch of kids that went to go play for a player's coach, now playing, playing for Brian Kelly. And maybe a player's coach isn't what they need. Maybe they need somebody that's a lot more structured and angry. Um, but from what he likes to do, a power-based offense that operates within some spread principles. Yeah, I mean, that's it's going to be – it's an uphill battle, but certainly there's space for that. And there's – obviously we've seen Dan Mullen operate in a similar sphere in that SEC West and, and find success there. It's about him finding a quarterback that can do what he wants them to do. I'm also curious what it looks like when he gets into a house, what it looks like when he's out on the road, what it looks like when – the reality is everybody's going to, like, there is, like, there is no gentleman's agreement or play nice. Jimbo Fisher's cutthroat. Saban is cutthroat. These guys are, Kirby Smart, if he wants them, he's going to go get them. And so it's something that I thought about a lot with um, Chris Peterson. When, when, when Coach Pete went to Washington, it wasn't so much what he had to learn on the field as what he had to learn off the field. And I'm very curious to watch Brian Kelly get into battles with these other teams when it comes to recruiting because you have to want to be in that fight and you have to expect to win that fight and you have to do what it takes to, to win that fight. And so I think that's going to be an interesting element of it. On the field, what do they look like defensively? I, I think that LSU is a football team, defensively specifically, specifically in their secondary. Those kids went there to play man-to-man coverage. And there was almost a refusal to learn how to play zone coverage, a refusal to communicate within zone coverage, a refusal to all be on the same page. And everybody blamed Bo Pelini a year ago, and then you see the same exact problems this year. You got you got five guys in the secondary, and four of them are playing, playing zone, and one guy decides, nope, I'm just going to carry this player all the way across the field. And guess what? You left a huge void, and now somebody's got a big play. So I'm very curious to see how he tackles that issue, too, because that's obviously a thing that Orgeron didn't fix, and neither of the two coordinators fixed either. Yeah, I I think one of the things that, as I've been trying to process this, because I think it's going to take some time to to get used to these these ideas of, you know, Lincoln Riley at USC and and Brian Kelly at LSU. I mean, I was looking at the, the graphics of him in purple, and it's just, it's jarring. But but one thing I, I do see, and I, I I'm with you totally about you know the recruiting, um, the the just the hunger for it, um, and the ability to do it, and the ability to do it in SEC West. But also one thing that I I have come around on is one of the things that Ogeron failed at was hiring the right people around him, and managing that. And I do think Brian Kelly is good at that. I think he's hired multiple good defensive coordinators. He's hired good people around him. He's replaced people and he's needed to. So I'm very curious to see how, how he builds his staff. I think that's going to be 
be really interesting, um, especially for someone jumping into the SEC. And and I, I know, you know, Andy Staples and I did an emergency pod on this feed, and Andy was talking about, you know, Urban Meyer jumping in from as an outsider and, and being able to win big in the SEC and Saban. But, um, you know, it just doesn't it's, – it's just surprising when it happens, when you do take someone who doesn't have SEC experience, doesn't have experience in this, in this part of the country – and put them in there. So I'm I'm super curious to see how it goes. Um, and and we have two other head coaching positions were filled sure. between Monday and and Tuesday. We're recording this Tuesday morning. So Virginia Tech is hiring Brent Pry, defensive coordinator at Penn State. And yesterday on Monday, um, Washington hired Kalen DeBoer from Fresno State couple what what are your reactions to to either or both of of those moves for for Washington and Virginia Tech uh probably feels like a, a good that feels good to me um getting back to more of that want a, a defense forward mm-hmm. team uh which is what that program really wants to be um but also still a disconnect from like he's not going to go in there and say we're we're bringing something back he's going to go in there and build something and I think that's going to be really interesting the other part of it is uh, the, the, the like recruiting through that corridor is going to be important for them. Um, that that ver- like obviously getting to the Tidewater is, inc- is incredibly critical, but also recruiting up through Maryland into Pennsylvania is a huge. That's another area of opportunity for him. And, and it's not that he's going to take players from Penn State, but he is. He can take players from Pitt, and he can take players from from Maryland, and he can take guys that were thinking about going. You know, so elsewhere, like he can grab those guys and keep them a little bit closer. Uh, so I think that's important. Um, I also, uh, with respect to Kellen DeBoer, I think that it's interesting that Hayner, who had a lot of success for them this year, was at Washington. DeBoer gets the job at Washington now, and he's hopefully going to bring some of that um, that offensive magic to to Washington because they've been – abysmal the last couple seasons on the offensive side of the ball. And so they made the right decision to find a guy that can fix their offense and find a way that their offense can get cooking. And it's going to be, um, I don't know. It's, he's someone that obviously is going to be able to recruit that West coast. I think it's important. I think it's really important to maintain that defensive identity. I don't know how he does that. I don't know who he hires, but I definitely think it's important for him to maintain a lot of that deep. Cause that's the only thing that's kept them afloat. And then you find ways to expand as a uh, as as an offense. Yeah, I thought this was a hire that made a lot of sense to me. Um, as as you mentioned about the West Coast, you know, this is someone who's had success where they've been. I mean, you know, he got that Fresno State job off of um, a really good job with Indiana as they were as they were building and in, in, in getting better offensively. Twenty nineteen. Um, I, I think that you know it, it, it's it's interesting because obviously this cycle has been dominated by these big names jumping from blue bloods to blue bloods. But I think they're you know one of the the things I was thinking about heading into it was you know are there enough good coaches for for the amount of good jobs that are going to be out there and big names and and things like that and you know maybe I talk about or think about fit too much because that was one of the things that I, I've struggled the most with Brian Kelly tell us you is is fit and maybe that maybe that won't matter but um you know the, it does matter I, absolutely it matters fit does matter you know people keep saying it doesn't matter if they're gonna if he's gonna win and I'm like okay well sure. yeah 
But I also, I, you know, I was at Michigan when Rich Rod was at Michigan. Like, fit matters. Everyone can't win everywhere. Right. That's the whole, that's, like, when, when I think of fit, I don't, I don't think, oh, it's, it's, like, I don't, it's, it's everyone can't win everywhere. And he's going to lose access to some of the things that made him a really good coach. He's going to lose access to the very specific type of offensive lineman that he recruited at Notre Dame. He doesn't have access to that anymore. Yeah, I, I, you don't, you don't get that. I, I agree. But I, my, my point is that Kalen DeBoer to Washington checks boxes for me that sure. maybe it's not, I don't, I don't know who, you know, you, you want like Matt Campbell's and these, like the biggest of big names, you know, when, when you're a fan of a school and their job opens, but this is a this is a hire that makes sense. We never know. I mean, people who grade hires immediately is is maybe one of the the most futile exercises that sports journalists do. But um, that one makes sense. And 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 the Brent Pry thing too, because I think they absolutely need that defensive identity, and they need to get back to that. That's what they take pride in. That's how they win games. Giving up 500 yards of offense or whatever is not how Virginia Tech wants to play a football game. Um, so I'm excited to see. I, I've always enjoyed Brent Pry in our conversations and when, when, you know, when, when I've talked to him. Um, and obviously Penn State's had, you know, very good defense. That was one of their saving graces this season. So I'm curious to see. I'm curious to see how it goes. But, you know, we are inching closer. I mean, who knows? We still have ripple effects. Oklahoma's still open. Notre Dame's open. So we'll see. But some of these original open jobs are, are getting filled up. Um, and we'll, you know, obviously stay on that. There will be emergency pods when there are massive hires and changes in this, uh, in this space. And, and we can move on to, um, you know, we, we're going to get to the championship games. But also big news on Monday because everything is just happening at once. There were a ton of running backs who entered the transfer portal. A lot of great players entered the portal as well. And Spencer Rattler officially did. Um, I think this was something we've all expected for a while, but Spencer Rattler is leaving Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, we'll see where he goes. I don't, I just, I think it's all like, I think the writing was on the wall when they decided to opt to go with Caleb Williams and then stick with Caleb Williams when he threw for 87 yards in a football game. And it's, does the game look different if, if with, against Oklahoma State if Spencer Rattler plays? Maybe. I just – he, I think, feels frustrated that he went to Oklahoma to throw the football around. Their offensive line didn't really let him throw the football around. He made some mistakes, lost his job, and so he's going to look for some look for a fresh start. What did you make of so many running backs entering the portal? Anything about the position, anything – you know, are these individual situations that all just kind of happen because we're at the end of the regular season? I think it's a combination of, you know, you get to see what Kenneth Walker does. Mm. You see what even like Ty Chandler did at UNC, and you're like, okay, maybe I need it. I'm not getting the touches I want. Uh, this team isn't using me in the way that I, I think is best. Time for me to go somewhere else, and maybe I can be the next that. So it's also probably the most easily translatable position. And the difference between Kenneth Walker operating in that kind of slow mesh at Wake versus the more of a speed give so that he can press the point, he can press the line of scrimmage, get square, and then cut, is was huge. And it benefited him to the point where he's someone that 
was on a lot of folks' shortlist for a long time when it comes to the Heisman. So I think that a lot of folks are seeing that and taking taking stock in it. I think Gibbs at, at Georgia Tech is like, I want to win some more football yeah. games. I think that's another element to it, too, is teams that are – that if, whether they've underachieved or just not that good, at the end of the day, they're like, I want to, I want to, I want to win. And yes, I wanted to be a part of the culture change. The culture hasn't changed so far. I think I'm going to go somewhere that I can win. And and it's worth noting. I mean, this is the first year of the like really being in a season through a season, and the one-time transfer where guys are able to do this um, and and play right away if they haven't transferred before. So you know, it's it's going to be really interesting to see. I think the Kenneth Walker point is a really good one. You know, this is we saw grad transfer quarterbacks um, become a thing after Russell Wilson did it, and it was successful. And it, you know, you accomplish things that you weren't accomplishing before. So that'll be something to keep an eye on too, and, and just sort of tracking some of these roster changes. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Direct TV satellite free. Hey Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get Direct TV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream Direct TV over the internet now. Oh sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream Direct TV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-Direct TV terms or restrictions apply looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events we've got the spot our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years providing a 100% guarantee with every order from a worldwide selection of live events the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence StubHub an official partner of The Athletic Let's get into the actual football, Felder, because I know you want to talk about the actual games, and it has been hijacked by the news cycle and by these yeah. other things. Let, let's start with the Big Ten title game. I'm going to be covering this. I'm going to be an indie. Um, I covered Michigan-Ohio State, so I've got thoughts and, and things to pull out of that as well. But Michigan-Iowa, it's a matchup I don't think you know anyone necessarily saw coming. Iowa, I, I sort of love when teams kind of like – backdoor their way into these things. I mean, this happened for Baylor as well in the Big 12 championship, but I'm just picturing these teams, these players and coaches like watching, you know, other teams determine their fate at home and just, you know, having no control over it. But Wisconsin loses to Minnesota. So Iowa is going. It's Iowa, Michigan in Indianapolis. Michigan win and you're into the playoff, probably a number two seed. Iowa somehow got to this point, um, you know, after kind of their, their offense bottomed out at one point in the season. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Spencer Petras is starting in this game. Is that correct? I believe. I have no okay. clue. I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea. Like they, this, they, <laughs> they are like because they're, they, they're just trying to find something that works. Yes, they're trying to so, gain yardage is, is the Iowa yeah. offensive goal. Um, anyway, so so this game I think is interesting just because we haven't seen Michigan play for a Big Ten title in a long time. They've never reached championship games since it's been implemented. Um, and then you know Iowa also an unlikely team. Just their season's been a roller coaster, and it's just going to be a massive challenge for them to do anything offensively against uh, you know Michigan's Michigan's defensive front, which was you know on display. Against Ohio State, they dominated both lines of scrimmage. Thoughts on the game? 
Anything Iowa can do here? Before we, I think there's a lot of stuff. Uh, before we go forward, go go backward. You're at the game, so what what, what was your what were your takeaways from Michigan Ohio State? Because I yeah, I mean, take- I thought it was you know obviously an incredible and remarkable performance, and it was exactly the kind of way you know Ari Wasserman explained it this way too that when you beat a rival, you know you need to you need to really beat them like you need to kick their ass, and you don't want to win on a controversial call or like an inch or whatever, you know, you want to, you want to leave no question. And so I think that was really cathartic to win that way. And, um, you know, just to win in the trenches both ways. I was listening to another podcast where they just started off by listing all five offensive linemen's names just to commemorate their performance in that game. And, you know, it's just, it's remarkable. That's, that's the way I think there's a lot of people and particularly a lot of Michigan fans and people within the program and past and, and, and present who take a lot of pride in winning a game that way. So, um, you know, it was just, it wasn't in doubt. And I think that even, I think Ohio state got within one possession, eight points or something late. And it just never felt like it. Cause you just never felt like they were going to be able to stop Michigan. And, you know, Aiden Hutchinson was just phenomenal. Yeah. I, I think that there's a lot of abstract in there. I think, I think that people that keep saying, yeah, they won in the trenches. I think those people are wrong. They're right, but wrong. Uh, Michigan's offense worked not because they overpowered Ohio State, but because they confused them. Ohio State didn't know what linebackers to play for the entire game. They kept flipping between Simon and Chambers, Chambers and, and Eichenberg, Ch- Eichenberg and, and Simon. Who do we put in the game? We don't know what to do because we don't. Why? Because Michigan manipulated personnel packages. Going with 12 personnel, going with um, 13 personnel, I think, a time or two. But manipulated personnel packages and manipulated by using formations that created problems. They also worked a ton of misdirection. Like, it's really the first couple drives, they use misdirection in a way through motions, pre-snap, through post-snap movement from the tight ends to create the edge and to make Ohio State run side-to-side. Once you get a team anticipating, worrying about side-to-side football play, it's easier to go straight because they're on their heels, which is how you get push up front. So they did a great job of that. I love the – there's a sequence, first quarter, um, it's 11 – first quarter, 11.35 to play. They run a speed screen with the guy coming in motion, with orbit motion to the speed screen, and they pick up, I don't know, 12, 15 yards. They show that same action on the first touchdown with that stat, the, the modified Statue of Liberty. They show the orbit motion. It goes the other way. Ohio State sprints like hell to get to that. Watch Steel Chambers on that play. He sprints like crazy to go get that speed screen so it doesn't take it away from him. They hand the ball back off going to the right. Now we've got a touchdown. The touchdown, um, I think it was 25 that scored it. He, um, they line up with a tight end over, over a, a corner, tight end over schoonmaker over a corner, and then they bring all across the formation, and now they got a tight end on a corner, tight end on a safety, plus a guard pulling out in front. When you split that field down the middle pre-snap, there are four Ohio State defenders, there are four Michigan uh, offensive players. You get a running back to that side, then you get a pulling guard. Now you've got five. Then you get the tight end coming across. Now you have six. It's six on four. And six on four is a win, especially when you have two tight ends blocking defensive backs. 
that's a lot of misdirection, a lot of movement, and then you get a team on your heels, and then you can run your regular game. And so for me, it just, like the game plan, they pretended to be something against Michigan State, and they ultimately lost because they couldn't do it for 60 minutes. It, with this game plan, they put together a game plan that suited what they can do, and they could do it for 60 minutes, and that was a difference to me. Not just they out If they would have played it straight, I think they would have been in trouble in this football game. And there was a point in this game when they started to play it straight, and I was like, oh, no, Ohio State's about to put in the work in the second quarter. And then they went back to the drawing board at halftime, and they were like, we have to continue with the misdirection. We have to continue with the formations. And that's what was the difference in this football game. Confusion, a game plan that Ohio State was not prepared for, did not adjust to, maybe could not adjust to. And that was a huge difference in this football game. So spinning it forward to Iowa, I wonder if Michigan shot everything they had in the tank. Because now it's all on camera. Now they know what's going to happen. And Iowa is a much tougher team, a much more disciplined team than Ohio State. And while they are not as explosive, they are not, they're not explosive offensively. It's not, not as. They're not explosive offensively. And I assume maybe it's Spencer Petras. He'll be healthy for this game, and maybe that'll be what it is. If it's Alex Padilla, okay, whatever. We'll see what happens. But the reality of it is they have to work the score, and they're going to have to work the score, and that's fine. But on the other side of the ball, Iowa's defense, this is going to be interesting because how much of what you did last week can you do this week? And do you have anything new that you're going to do? Does, does Michigan have this? It feels to me like this is a game plan that they've been working on for weeks. And now that it's all on tape, you kind of, you, I don't know. I don't know if they burn, like this is going to be, like if this is a game that they play it straight, this is a game that it's, it's going to be probably tighter than people expect. They've also played a number of games tighter than people expect and 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 won yeah. them. And I, and I think that they're they're comfortable in that if it needs to be. But I was also extremely comfortable in games like that. I think, too, we, we've also just never seen Michigan at this point because I, I think what you're saying about, preparing and gearing all of these things towards the Ohio state game is a hundred percent what we've seen in the past. And then Michigan has gone into these bowl games and, and just kind of fallen off, right? Like there, there is something about gearing everything, even you're talking about like, you know, schematically and all the things you're going to put on tape, but also just when everything is geared towards that one game, what happens afterwards, I think is going to be an interesting storyline um, and, and again, yeah, I was much tougher, much better defensively. And yeah. it, it, I think that's, what's really interesting because, you know, I, I love games where it's like strength on strength, but I think Michigan's offense is such an interesting and, and it's been malleable at different times, but a, a very interesting unit to go up against Iowa's defense to have to get them to the playoff. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm very curious. Like, I don't think that, um, Eight, what is it? Hankins, Haskins, Hankins. I, think. Hankins. I don't think he's gonna let. I don't think he's gonna allow himself to be walked into the end zone like Burke was for Ohio State. And I think that's a difference maker because I think they're not gonna allow him to stay in the game if that happens. Right, right. That you know, and and I think there there's just a lot of pieces. Like this is a defense that that can adapt and can make adjustments and change, and they're not gonna be slow. They're not gonna be slow. They're not gonna be soft. They're not gonna be doing looking like and, and doing the, the same things that that Ohio State did. Yeah. They're, they're disciplined. 
and they don't they don't live on penetration. This isn't a team. Ohio State lives on penetration. Penetration is great, but when you get misdirection with penetration, now you end up with a guy that's completely out of position. He's out of position. He can't help you. He's out of the play, and they capitalize on that consistently. And that's that's Iowa doesn't do that. They keep everything in front of them and force you to beat them, and they slow play. They make you make a decision before they make a decision. So we'll see what happens. I just think I think this game is going to be closer than a lot of folks expect. Iowa, if they had any sort of an offense, I probably would pick them to win, but they don't. So I think Michigan's going to win, but I think it's going to be closer than a lot of folks expect. Um, uh, real quick, real quick. Yeah. I do want to get into other games, but Matt Hankins is not going to play in this game just since we talked about Ooh. him. Um, Scott Dockerman said that. Kirk said that, I believe, on Sunday. So Oof. that's uh, that's a tough blow uh, as well. But let, let's yeah. let's go. Give me give me some other things you're looking forward to in, in championship weekend. You mentioned there's some teams that, you know, obviously can make the playoff. Michigan's one of them for the first time other teams playing for championships and other things that they're looking for. Like what, what, what are the things that you're most excited for? Bailey Zappi against Frank Harris. Um, I mean, Zappi realistically could throw 60 touchdowns. This <laughs> he's year. already set a bunch of records in CUSA in his first year. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's set a bunch of records period. Yeah. Like literally this dude is, he, nobody's thrown more touchdown passes than him. And this game, he's had, God, I don't remember what I, what it was. I think he's had eight, eight combinations of games, back-to-back games, where he's thrown a total of a combined eight touchdowns. And that's why, so the fact that he has 52 right now and could throw for 60, that, that might be a record that never gets broken. And we could talk all the time, all we want to talk about, Kenny Pickett, is he a Heisman finalist? But Bailey Zappi should be on that list for people because the problem is nobody pays attention to him because – He's not one of their big names. Frank Harris, watching his evolution over the last three seasons has been really fun. So excited for him. Can't believe they lost to North Texas, but looking forward to that. Oregon and Utah, a rematch. We'll see if Oregon's tough enough. Like, I want to see them come back and be tough. Like, this team, Utah walked the dog on them and just beat them up. And that was, I was not expecting that. I thought it was going to be a slugfest both ways. It was a one-way punch fest, and they got knocked out. Um, And then Saturday... Oklahoma State's probably my favorite defense to watch this year. And they do something that I really like and appreciate. And we'll see it in this game against Baylor. And Baylor, wait, do you have any idea who Baylor's quarterback is going to be to start this weekend? Because that's a team that is literally just like, like I know they had uh, uh, what Shappen. I know Shapen played. Uh, I think, Bohannon yeah, I think Bohannon's still uncertain. I think he's going – I'm seeing yeah. that he will practice. So, we'll see what happens there because um, the freshman, Blake Shapin, he's found a way to kind of help them out, but they're not nearly as good when he's in the game. And it's scary because you're playing a freshman quarterback against Oklahoma State. We saw what Caleb Williams – what happened to Caleb Williams. They made him look bad. They made him look silly. Like, they – like, he made, a, he made a hero play with a 54-yard run and – I will say this, Lincoln Riley had a really good game plan. And the reason I referenced Spencer Rattler, if he had played, I think Spencer Rattler would have probably been more uh, Velcroed to that game plan and known where to go with the football. But who knows what actually happens because Lincoln Riley's game plan was throw it to my big guys. And it worked. He threw it to, he threw it to Hall Stogner and uh, Willis and those guys two touchdowns out of them 
big plays out of them. 116 yards on four catches for those for those guys. And that was like four big catches in the first half, 116 yards. That was where they're in two touchdowns. That was a good game plan. They just didn't stick to it. And so, anyways, back to Oklahoma State. I think they win against Baylor. Against Baylor. I think this is a team that does something early in games where they play through the wide receiver's chest. And so they will take a pass interference, or they'll take a second pass interference. But it's very much like um, Richard Sherman. It's very much like what Belichick teaches. If you do it all day, they're not going to call every single one of them. And then you get to the end of the game. We saw the end of the game. Oklahoma's wide receivers begging for, for penalties, and you're not going to get those calls because at the end of the day, we can't just call all these the whole time. You do have to try to catch the football. And I love that about them because they're ferocious. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think I think they they they're gonna have the edge in this game and and win it. And and it's it. One of my things that I am so excited about this weekend is just the matchups and the teams that we don't normally see have a chance to make the playoff and and have a chance to play in these champ games. I mean, I don't think anyone would have predicted the ACC, Big Ten, and Big Twelve matchups. And and I think that's what's really cool. And that Oklahoma State had and has a clear path to the playoff, but yeah. You know, they were they were they were lower in the rankings, but they had the games in front of them and, and they were gonna have the opportunities and the opponents in Oklahoma and now Baylor to do it and to win their way in. And so um, you know, I think that's that's just really cool to see. And I, I do wanna hit on the ACC before we move sure. on because like you know, I, I've been just – we've talked about this, but I, I don't love people talking about the ACC being down just because Clemson is – by the way, Clemson could still win 10, 10 games this season. Like, still just yep. – I mean, they've had all these injuries, all of these things. It was – it's literally, like, the way that the games were played and that they played Georgia right out of the gate. Like, that changed the way that we think about them. But they could win 10 games. You know, Dabo, one of his best coaching jobs, and people are just like, oh, the ACC is down, whatever. I, I think that this wake pit – Matchup is awesome. I think the quarterbacks in this game are awesome. They they came back to do this to to get to this point. They're incredibly fun to watch, and I am super excited for this. And I don't like people being like, "Ha ha ha! What about the ratings? Ha ha ha! Clemson's not in it." I mean, we've seen so many lopsided ACC champ games with Clemson in them in the last decade, and. I love that different teams are getting this moment and how hard it is to come through the ACC Atlantic to get to this place for Wake. And these quarterbacks deserve it. These teams deserve it. And, you know, I just – I'm excited for it. And I think it's going to be – I mean, I don't know. Is this game going to be in the 50s? Like, I mean, these these quarterbacks are just going to light it up. It's going to be a defense optional game. Yeah. I mean, they're, we've talked about it before. Narduzzi's defense isn't where he wants them to be. Uh, they made some timely plays, but they're not nearly, you know, where they were um, back when they when they had a, like a monstrous defensive line, whether it was Rashad Weaver or Jalen Twy- uh, Twyman or any of those guys. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. And then on the Wake side, their defense is just, they're not very good. And so you end up with a team that has the score, and guess what? They can, and they do, and they keep doing it, and they keep doing it. So that'll be fun. I um, Obviously, Cincinnati has to get a win and probably has to make it look good. And then with Bama and Georgia, I just – I'm very curious to see what Saban has in his back pocket for this football game. Because I think that's going to be the most critical element here for him. Not just to, it's not like for him to win, he's going to have to do a couple special things. And whether that's on special teams or it's with, with Bryce Young or it's personnel packages, he has to do something special 
to to ensure that he gets the win. I also wonder how conservative Kirby Smart is going to be in this football game because that could he could be the Kirby Smart could be the reason Nick Saban wins this game. And that's not a knock on him. That's just Nick Saban walking off the field, whether it was against Auburn, against Arkansas, against Florida, against um, LSU. What's the other one? LSU. And him walking off the field and basically just you could see it all over his face. If those other guys were smarter, they could have beat me. And I wonder what that looks like with Kirby Smart because he Kirby Smart likes to play it close. And he's had Saban on the ropes more than once. And Saban's always had a thing. Well, actually, Saban always had a thing. Sometimes Kirby Smart gets too smart with the fake field, with the fake punt. And then you make a mistake. But Nick Saban has a thing where we're going to put two in. And all of a sudden, now you got a problem. And it's a guy you didn't prep for. So this is going to be interesting. I'm very curious to see how they attack this Georgia defense, though. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, like, I'm looking forward to all these games. Like, I'm... I'll be locked into to watching all of them from Friday all the way through Saturday. And I mean, I guess I'll put on USC Cal on the little yeah, screen. Yeah, you will. You will. Because, you know, it'll, it'll fill that Pac-12 after dark hole in our I don't, hearts. I don't, I don't have a hole in my heart for that. I'm ready to get my Saturday breath. <laughs> Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at Fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, let's go, let's go to uh, our, our flavor of the week and uh, you know what we're cooking, who we like on the field. I'll go first. Um, we talked mm-hmm. about Michigan a little bit in my trip there, but... I went to one of my favorite restaurants in Ann Arbor, Sava's, and it's this very, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to say like farm to table. I'm just trying to get people picturing the types of food. It's just, it's really interesting flavors, but essentially like comfort food. 
and great cocktails, great vibe. Um, it'd be a great restaurant anywhere, but it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a little bit North of, you know, the main undergrad campus area. And I went and, and let me just set the picture. So I, I fly home to New Jersey for Thanksgiving, spend a couple of days with family. And then I had to fly back to Chicago cause I needed to pick up my car to then drive to Ann Arbor. So on Friday, I'm, I'm flying. I, you know, the planes, trains, and automobiles, I'm flying, and then I'm driving four hours. So I finally get to Ann Arbor, and I'm like, you know what? Let me see if Sava's, if there's a spot at the bar, and I can eat, sit at Sava's. So, so they do. They have a spot, and I order this mushroom bolognese with ricotta. It's this really hearty dish. It's delicious. The flavor is great. It's filling. It's cathartic. I, you know, I had a long day, long holiday week long season. And it just, it just hit the spot. It, it tasted great. It was flavorful. It was exactly what I wanted and what I needed in that moment. And you know what? That's what Michigan was last weekend. The, the way that they won that game was fulfilling. And it was the way that you had to do it. It was the thing that everyone had been waiting to see for years wasn't sure they would see, but it was that whole lead up, the 0-5 for Harbaugh against, against Ohio State, 15 of 16, whatever it had been for Ohio State beating Michigan. And it was, it was hearty, the way that they won the game. Like, it felt good. It felt comforting. And so they're my, they're my flavor of the week as well. I, I, I'm so curious to see how they respond a week after this, but I feel good about them. And that I feel like the way that they won that game is sustainable and something that will travel, something that will go to Indy. The defense is legit. I am going to continue to make cases for considering defensive players for the Heisman. Aiden Hutchinson should be in that conversation. But basically, it was a hearty win. And, you know, it was just it was just something that that you needed in that moment and you got it. Yeah, I, I dig that. We we had short ribs over rice, and it's kind of very hearty too. That, so I dig that. Um, no, for me, I'm getting I'm getting back in my wing bag, and I'm going I'm going to do some spice. I'm going spicy, a bunch of flavors, extra like just go hard. And for me, that's Oklahoma State. Like they've got guys on that defense who punch, who fight, who scrap. I love twenty. What's that, Rodriguez? I love sixteen. Sixteen had a play where. 16 had a play in the fourth quarter where he comes from depth, misses the tackle on Caleb Williams, then gets up and tackles him before he can get the first down. It's high effort. It's high energy. And that's what I feel when I'm cooking wings. And certainly when I'm I'm eating a spicy wing, that's high effort, high energy. You get a little sweat going. And Oklahoma State's definitely a team that's going to make every quarterback sweat. So I'm looking forward to where they go. Uh, Question. We are, it is the end of November. How are you on your quest for a hundred different types of chicken? Um, whew, I think I'm at 80. Are you going to be able to get there? Probably not, but we'll see. I have faith. I have faith. <laughs> if it's 20, I mean, we'll just see. a lot of chicken in a short period of time, but I feel like maybe two different kinds in the same meal. You could. Yeah. If I didn't, if I did if I started in January instead of in March, I would have been in business. Mm. I have faith. I have faith. I think you can, I think you can make we'll this see. work. Uh, let, let, let's get to our last calls. This is our segment where we cheers or rant to something. It's something we would be thinking about and talking about at two in the morning, last call at a bar. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Felder, I will let you go first. It could be a cheers or a rant or a combination of both, but take it away. Yeah, I, I, mine was is the same as yours, honestly. Um, I'm really kind of over the jubilation and glee that everyone shows about, like, the whole coaching carousel thing. I, I don't like it, and I don't like it because of there's, like, like I understand the idea of, like, this is life-changing money or it's an opportunity of a lifetime. I think life is an operative word in there because there are other lives involved, and it's not just, like, the coach and his family. It's also, like, why – like. I don't know. I, I'm I'm of a couple of minds here. I'm a little scatterbrained, but like I don't understand the like people standing for millionaire coaches. I don't understand that. Like, bro, he doesn't care about you. He doesn't even know you exist. Like, and you're standing for him based on how much money he makes. Like, that's crazy. But then the other part of it is, and go back to the original point. Like, I know players. I was a player. I was a player who had a coaching change. We didn't have a like, – when I was there, we didn't get Butch Davis. When I was there, they had a position coach change. And guess what? It sucked. Because you go from, okay, I'm going to get to play to, okay, especially now, oh, this guy's going to hit the transfer portal. I'll never see the light of day. And for every Spencer Rattler or Caleb Williams or or, or Jameer Gibbs, like someone who people are – is like highly desirable, there's a bunch of guys on that roster that have two-third or three-quarter degree pro- progress – can't leave, know that they're going to bring somebody in over the transfer portal to come shut them out, and that's what they got. They just have to They just have to deal with it. So it's very frustrating. And then the other part for me, because I said lives, like those players, are those are lives, but the other one for me are position coaches, analysts, assistants, support staff. Their lives get screwed too. And I don't think anybody realizes, yeah, it sounds great. He's bringing part of his staff to USC, or this guy's coming with him to, to go to LSU, or he's bringing – yeah, that's great. But there are a lot of times when guys end up, it's musical chairs, and the last chair's gone, and now they're scrambling. I guess I'm going to coach high school now. I guess I'm going to go – I guess I'm going to go to FCS. I guess I'm going to go D2. I guess i got to do something. And I say this as someone who has plenty of friends that work in college football, plenty of friends that coach in college football – I've had I've had I've had people call me and say, "Hey man, do you know what the staff looks like for this school?" Because they just brought in a new coach. When they brought in Hugh Freeze at Liberty, those coaches were like, "Well, I guess we're screwed now, huh? What are we going to do?" And it sucks because those guys aren't millionaires. A lot of those guys sometimes aren't hundred thousandaires, and. Great. It's a life-changing move for this guy. It's a completely life-shattering and life-altering move for some of these other guys, players and coaches. So, yeah, I didn't want to steal your thunder, but like that's I wrote down a whole long thing here and it it does suck, man. And like the like I don't know. I just it's it's very frustrating that like the deck is stacked against the little people and it seems like people root for that deck to stay stacked against them. Yeah, when when you're saying, you know, people standing for these multimillionaire coaches, it's like, hope they see this tweet, bro. Like, I mean, what do you – I don't know, you know, the the default to, to defending some of these moves or some of the money um, and, and also some of the bad deals that these schools make to yeah. – agree to keep these coaches or get these coaches. Um, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a bad cycle, but my, my last call is, is for the players. You know, I've been thinking about it ever since we saw the message that got sent out to the Notre Dame players in particular. 
hours after the news broke that Brian Kelly was going to LSU and he's confirming it and, and trying to say that he still loves his guys and that he sits the 7 a.m. meeting and, you know, it's a short meeting because I don't know what else needs to be said or what else needs to be asked at that point. Gone by 7-11. Gone by 7-11. Again, I, I don't know what else could have been said. I mean, that's going to be a short, short meeting no matter what. And it, no. no. No, 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 no. If you if it if it matters and you care, that's something you you talk to them like for real, for real. Like you're not seen leaving at Seven Eleven. Nah, no, absolutely no. And I, I don't want to hear him say anything about family, father figure, none of that. Don't bring any of that. Don't bring any of that bullshit over. Don't do it because no, because if no, I've. I've been I've been let go from jobs and spent more time with the people that I work with than that. Do you th- do you think I, the players like wanted more? Or- everybody wants to. Yes, you want an explanation. You want to feel like you're worthy. You want to feel like you matter. You want to feel like he cares. You want to feel like this was a thing he had to do. And you can't get that done in ten minutes. You can't do that in ten minutes. You got to you, you have to and you have to eat it. And I think that's one of the biggest issues here. Is he doesn't want to eat it. You have to you have to let them be angry and upset. And you have to give them space to do that. Not to say, here's what it is, I'm leaving, had to go. All right, no questions, goodbye. You can't do that. So no, no, I don't think that's like it doesn't have to be a short meeting. It could be a meeting where you listen, you you care about these people. They these are your men. This is your part of your family. You spend some time I think you nailed it, though, that he didn't want to face that and deal with it. So that, I mean, again, I, I think... And so what's the, difference, what's the difference between this and Cincinnati? Right. I, I think that there's a lot of ways that coaches... This, this is going to suck no matter what if a coach is leaving, but there have been situations where you don't take the team plane home. You do something like this. I mean... LSU had videos ready to go. He yeah. spent time talking about how he's ready to win a national championship because, you know, you can make the playoff but can't win it at Notre Dame. We, we get what you're saying there. But spent time recording those things before flying back to South Bend to have that meeting. So it that whole situation – and and – I know this happens every time there's a change. And that was, you know, one of the things Oklahoma uh, coverage was, you know, is there going to be a bowl game? And what about the player, the recruits? And a lot of those recruits are probably going to go with Lincoln Riley to, to USC. Like there's, there's going to be some of that. There's always some of that players will, especially with the new transfer rules, there will some, be some players that end up going with these coaches to their new places. But for a lot of the players, like you said, they're going to finish their degrees. They've got girlfriends, they've got friends, they've got, programs they like at their schools are going to stick it out but it just sucks for these players to go through it for them to find yeah. out about things like this on twitter yep. it sucks and there's no, again this is part of the business i get it but there are better ways to do this there are ways to at least make the players feel like they mattered that they did get those questions asked answered some sort of explanation, whatever it is. 
or that they didn't find out on Twitter. They didn't find out hours later in a in a message that like a, a group text, basically. I mean, it just I just I, I just keep thinking about the players. It's it's not easier because it happens everywhere, but it doesn't have to happen as bad as as it did in this situation. Yeah, it's I mean it just it's it sucks. And it's it's one of those things that just I, I don't I I'm never gonna like it. I like there was a time early in my career I was like, okay, this is like okay, we'll see which guy fits here, which guy fits here, which guy fits here. And then I was like, no, I don't I think this is gross. I don't want to do I'm not into this. I I'm I I like the players. I watch college football for the players and how they play and what they do and like the schemes. And yeah, I, I care about coaches because of what they're doing that's innovative or new or how they build their team and whatnot. But this part of it, the whole give me money and especially with from the coaching fraternity, the resistance to NIL and the resistance to, you know what? Throw NIL out the window. The resistance to actually paying the players. Because NIL is not paying the players. That's somebody else paying the players. That's third party paying the players. To you, your university, you all paying the players. The resistance to that where it's like, no, can't do it. I don't even know how it would work. I'm leaving for more money. Goodbye. Got to go. Or, it or just, it's I'll, frustrating I'll pump my own school for $9 million. More yeah. money. Yeah. And not oh, leave. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's very similar. So I, I agree. I think... That dynamic is not good. I think that there has been a, you know, you, you, for whatever reason, a couple donors decide that they want to pay Mel Tucker, you know, X amount of millions mm-hmm. of dollars guaranteed, and it changes the market, which isn't a real market. And now yeah. everyone's doing these, you know, $100 million deals. I mean, it's all of this is, is not great. I get that the market is whatever people are willing to pay you. I get it. But sure. it's not a real market because of the dynamic you just said. The players are not getting paid in it. So right. they're, the money goes to the coaches, the money goes to facilities, and now a little bit of it you know, goes to NIL and goes to players through, through brands and, and third parties. But it's, yeah, it's it just, just... It, the whole thing is gross, and it's uncomfortable, and I, I feel a little bit better about it because the players can transfer and play right away now. Sure. But there's still like there's still coaches who are resistant to that, right? And who are like against that sure. and uncomfortable by that because it's harder for them to deal with their roster. And it's like all of these things are happening because of you and because of the way that this is yeah. going. Well, hell, they 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 move national signing day up because it helps them, not because it helps a kid. And that's that to me that's a direct parallel, right? So you move NS, you move NSD up to December. Why? Because it makes my job easier. I can lock a kid in. Then I don't have to worry about that kid until he gets to campus. And now I can do whatever I want with him. I can stop that kid. So realistically, the way that this NSD is working is exactly the way I thought it would. Where the kids who are the bottom five for Alabama, right? Or they would be the bottom five for Notre Dame or for LSU or for Michigan or whoever. Those kids... Those kids don't really get offered until after. They won't get that. They won't get that big time offer until after that first NSD when they get they get to assess what they have, what they need. Well, 
the schools right underneath that, whether it's Wisconsin or it's Indiana or it's Mississippi State or it's Ole Miss or it's Tennessee, those schools, they put pressure on them and say, hey, man, what if they don't offer you? Sign with us. Don't wait for a bigger, better deal. Sign with us. Sign with us. A guy that is thinking about a guy that could go to Indiana, a guy who might go to Indiana, but a Mac school, sign with us, sign with us, sign with us, sign with us. Don't wait on that next offer. You don't know if it's going to come or not. Sign with us. Don't wait on the bigger, better deal. The whole focus is don't wait on the bigger, better deal. But it's the flip side for coaches, which is take, get the bigger, better deal whenever you can. It's a system that's engineered to help them and to control ultimately the source that drives their income, right? So, I don't know. It's just like the gleefulness and the meaning and the whole deal of it from this early this week has just been a lot for me. And I'm really happy to have like filters on Twitter because it is like something that just I can't. I, I can't walk around my house angry all day. That's that's it. We'll, I can't, I just, we'll, so we'll, that's and we'll what. just we'll just end it on just again. Think about the people who get affected, the people yeah. who whose lives get upended, and the players. Again, I think it's fine to be cynical and be like this happens everywhere, but also be like you got to think about this, and this is why you know you you just got to think about the fl- the players at the forefront of all of this about. You know, when people are trashing NIL or trashing the idea of paying players or transferring, it's it's not about what's easier. And, you know, back in my day, things were harder and kids these days. It's it's about their lives and about what they're going through right now. And the dynamics have really shifted as these salaries have gotten out of control. So we'll, we'll wrap there and we'll have more off the, the championship games and the playoff matchups and all that by the time we do this next week. So... Thank you. Thank you for listening to Power Hour. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, sign up at theathletic.com slash Nicole for a very special deal on an annual subscription. Later this week on the pod, One True Pod with Max Olson, Jason Kersey, and Sam Kahn. Andy Staples and Ari Wasserman will be, at, will be back for their usual antics later in the week. There will be emergency pods if there are more major coaching changes and bits of news. And Michael Felder and I will be back next Tuesday for our next episode of Power Hour. For Michael, I'm Nicole. Thanks for listening.